0: Hello, and welcome to Autism and Brain Institute podcast, focused on breaking attitude barriers for complex communication needs individuals. We are your hosts, Katrine Wallish and Michelle Wood. I am Katrine Wallish. I am a pediatric speech-language pathologist with augmentative and alternative communication and pediatric and feeding subspecialties. I am also a certified autism specialist. I'm a board-certified cognitive specialist, and I am currently working towards my certified brain injury specialty.
1: Hi, everybody. I am Michelle Wood. I am a board-certified behavior analyst, or BCBA. I'm also a certified autism specialist. I've worked in early intervention focused on children with autism. I've worked in clinics, homes, communities, and schools. We have created this podcast together in order to demonstrate the importance of BCBA, or board-certified behavior analysts and SLP speech language pathologist collaboration for improvement and generalization of behavior and communication goals. This does not stop at our professions only, and it should also include all rehab and medical teams.
0: Please note that this podcast does not replace your medical team, nor provide medical advice. We always encourage you to seek help from your doctors and therapists.
1: We would also like to provide an autism disclaimer where due to new and developing research, we want to make sure to acknowledge both people. There's new research around using autistic or person with autism. And we would like to state that these will be used interchangeable within our podcast. We also understand that clients, there are verbal clients who are able to make a choice on how they would like to be referenced, but we will be using both of these within our podcast.
0: Today's episode is a special Halloween roundtable edition. We're so excited to be doing this. We really hope that this will help you guys get a little bit of a handle on kind of how you prep your autistic child for Halloween, or even any special needs child. Really, it really doesn't just have to be a child with autism. So now, have we ch- now? Let's talk about why we kind of chosen to do this surrounding Halloween. Well, a lot of our special need kids, and especially our autistic kids, are known to have a lot of sensory overstimulation and understimulation. Some of you may know this as sensory seeking or sensory avoiding. All of that is very common in this special needs and the autistic population. And also, holidays, there's a lot going on. Halloween is really full of lights, screaming children. All these children are loaded up on sugar. There's noises. There's people everywhere. There's masks, et cetera. This can be extremely overwhelming for your child and extremely overwhelming for you to handle. So your child may exhibit behaviors that you can't anticipate. And therefore, as a family, unfortunately, you may choose not to go out. And that's where we want to help you. We want to help you kind of break through some of these barriers that are that we find so that you are able to participate in events like Halloween or any of celebratory events that you would like to participate in. So what if we told you that there are ways that specialists like Michelle and I can help support you in breaking down these barriers? So let's now, let's talk about the barriers first, like the barriers in question that we're we're wanting to review. So there's three main barriers that may come up a lot with your child with, with special needs. One is your attitude barrier, another is a participation barrier, and the third is an opportunity barrier. Now let's chat about the barriers in question, okay? So what are these barriers? So attitude barrier, participation barrier, opportunity barrier. These are three Common barriers that we may find a lot happen when working with special needs children. Now, the attitude barrier is one that leads into the stigma that unfortunately exists and can be experienced as a family with special needs with a special needs child, where you may be worried about somebody else's attitude or their belief system towards the disability that your child has. A participation barrier may be due to the attitudes that you have come across and lack of communication skills that your child has. So you choose not to participate in an event. So that would be a participation barrier. The attitude barrier leads to the participation barrier. So you are afraid of, or not necessarily afraid, maybe you don't even wanna, you don't wanna deal with it. You don't wanna deal with the attitudes. You're tired, it's exhausting to deal with. So you choose not to participate in the event so that you can avoid the attitude. And finally, the opportunity barrier is if you have a child who has communication and social difficulties, like a child with autism, participating in an event may be very overwhelming because they're unable to communicate and connect with peers and other adults. So really, you're looking at a child who maybe not be able, simply can't even say trick or treat, can't ask to move for a child to move out of the way, can't say, excuse me, can't converse in a group with a bunch of kids who are sharing candy together and exchanging things. These can all be breakdowns in communications that basically do not give the child an opportunity to communicate and therefore they don't participate in the event. Uh, the lack of suitable communication system for a nonverbal child or a child with communication difficulties can really hinder their opportunity to connect with another person and therefore creating the opportunity barrier. So now we're going to kind of go over some tips and tricks that you can really work on as a family to help you have more enjoyable events. We
1: want to make sure that you guys as listeners and families are able to access these different events. And so while this particular discussion is around Halloween and this holiday that is coming up, I think that a lot of times these Tips and tricks can also apply to some of the other events that you might experience. As a behavior analyst, I often have families and clients that want some assistance when accessing events like this. So as Katrine was talking about, the attitude barrier that can often keep us from wanting to participate in these events. And so the tips and tricks that I like to give parents, families, caregivers is, We wanna empower you to be able to access these events. We wanna empower you with some tips and tricks that are gonna make you feel that you are confident to get out there and be part of them. So here are some tips and tricks for this upcoming event for Halloween. So the first thing I like to tell parents and caregivers, it's really important to plan your event ahead of time. That's just planning what you are going to do. Where are you guys going? How long will you be there? And this can also be tied into if your child uses a visual schedule, practice using it and build that into the event as well. So when we're thinking about Halloween specifically, because that is the one that is coming up around the bend, think about where are you going to go? Are you guys going to go out trick-or-treating to the houses on your street? Are you attending a trunk-or-treat with a whole bunch of other people and friends? Think about those things ahead of time and make a plan that will suit your child as well as your family. Also, by planning ahead of time, this is going to help you understand what your expectations are as well. So once again, our goal is to empower you to get out there and do it. The next tip and trick that I've got is be sure that you're setting reasonable expectations for yourself and your child and your family. So that kind of goes back into the planning of this event think ahead of time, what you're doing and where you're going and what a reasonable expectation is. Oftentimes I get families who are like, we are going to a Halloween get together or a party and it's five hours long or it's after school and it's at 8 PM. And it's at like that time of day where your kid is just getting a in one hour, get ready to go to bed. So make sure you think ahead of time When are we doing this? What is my expectation? Maybe we just go down the street, five houses, and then we come home. Maybe we just go out for 30 minutes to an hour. So kind of set those expectations ahead of time. And that's going to also help you and your family and your child be ready. The other thing, the other tip and trick that I like to give is bring items with you that are familiar and that your child enjoys. And this can involve um, fidgets or things that they like to hold onto, comfort items, or even sometimes there's those clothing items. Um, Sometimes I've had clients where they use like a sweatshirt or a special jacket or um, like a blanket that just keeps them to feel safe. Make sure you take that with them. So that is something that is familiar and comforting for them. The other thing is, is we're talking about an event that is often very noisy, very bright, very loud. So sometimes, depending on if your child can tolerate these, another tip and trick is to practice using possibly noise-canceling headphones or even earmuffs work where they're not as heavy, but they still provide a little bit of the muffling in case there's loud noises. And then once again, a jacket or a covering, if they're very sensitive to bright lights, sometimes if you're able to sunglasses or some type of a shade to block out some of all those lights that kind of happen. So the goal in breaking through this barrier is how can we get you to access this event and want to be there and feel empowered and prepared? So I hope that those, trick, those tips and tricks kind of help you feel like, yes, okay, we can do those things and set reasonable expectations, decide what we're going to do, make a plan, and get our family and our child out there. The other thing I like to say is also when we're looking at these types of events, that children with special needs have their challenges, yes. But also remember that neurotypical children also experience these on a regular daily basis. It's just also part of being a human and being a child. So I like that to remind people that that it's not just your child. It will be other kids as well. It's not as unusual as people think. So then the other part is after we break through these attitude barriers and we are like getting empowered and ready to go to these events, the next one we have is our participation barriers. What are the barriers to participating in these events? So we want to break through these barriers. So here's some tips and tricks that's going to help your child to participate in the event that you are going to. And this kind of also goes back to preparing your child for these. You can do these things also to help prepare, but let's get your child involved. So the first tip I have is to get a costume that your child likes and wants to wear. Allow them to pick it out. And if they don't necessarily want to pick out something based on a character, oftentimes I tell parents, pick it out based on comfort. Put something simple together made of simple clothing that they're familiar with. So make it, make it something they want to wear. The second tip I have is to have your child wear that costume around the house. Get practice wearing it before that night when you have to go out. It's okay if they wear it at home. It's okay if they wear it in the front yard or the backyard. Just get experience and get them comfortable in that costume. Make alterations to the costume where you feel like it is needed. Oftentimes, a lot of our kiddos are very sensitive to the way certain clothes feel or textures, or sometimes they don't like to wear long sleeves. So make the alterations that are necessary to put make them comfortable in it. It is okay if they don't wear the entire thing. I always tell uh, families that masks are a big one where. They're like, oh, but he needs to wear the mask. I'm like, he really doesn't need to wear the mask. I think that accessing the event, going out and having an enjoyable experience, especially if it's a first one, would be way more important and more valuable than being sure they're wearing their mask. And then my other tip is, if you are working with a behavior team or have some behavior strategies in place, you can take those along with you. So if your child is working into the behavior team and they've got a reinforcement system, Go ahead and bring it with you because that is something that your child is familiar with. And if they're used to that and you've been trained with your team to execute it, there's nothing wrong with bringing that. Bring those reinforcers. Bring those things that your child really enjoys. So the next thing I'm going to kind of go over is we all have this in mind. All right, Michelle. Thanks a lot. Now we've prepared and empowered and we're going and now we're participating and we're ready and we got our costume. And we know that something that often keeps our families and caregivers and listeners away from these events are, oh, no, what do I do if they have a tantrum or a meltdown? Because this might happen. And I know some of you are listening. You're like, I guarantee this is going to happen. And I want to say that that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. One thing is, is parents often, people, parents, listeners often ask me, how do I know the difference? Like what is the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown and what do I do about it? So let's talk through that just a little bit is first, the first part is let's identify that the tantrum and a meltdown are different things. A tantrum is often a behavior that happens with the hope of gaining or accessing something. So your child is like, oh, I want to engage in this behavior because I really want that big candy bar. They're hoping to get that that item. A meltdown, on the other hand, is more of an emotional response. And often it's like when we're like tapped out. So we're no longer in a state where we're able to regulate ourselves, And it's often a sign of overstimulation or not being able to process all the input that's coming into us. So oftentimes when we have meltdowns, when you give items, then the behavior usually does not stop. That's often the difference because it's not about accessing an item or something. It's an emotional response that I can no longer regulate. So just getting what I need, like a candy bar is not going to stop that. So how do you know the difference? This is hard. It is hard. So how do we know the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown? And that is a great question. And it can be hard to know the difference. And oftentimes, sometimes your child can experience one or both of these responses at the same time. So if you're trying, your child is trying to access something that they can't have, then they're going to engage in that tantrum. If they are having a meltdown and they can't process what they need, oftentimes we have to change the environment or change something. So that could be moving them to a different location. That could be, we have to turn the lights down. We have to turn the noise down. So we have to make some type of alteration to then get them to be able to manage all of that input. So I want to say that I do encourage our listeners, parents and caregivers to access these environments. And so when these do occur, It's okay when you're in these events if you have to make some of those changes. Do you have to change rooms? Is it time? Okay, maybe it's time for us to finish our trick-or-treating and it's time for us to go home. So oftentimes one thing that's really important is to identify what we call precursor behavior. So if your child is walking down the sidewalk we've done five houses, we're looking a little dysregulated. That to me is a sign, okay, maybe we're done. Maybe it's time for us to go home now. That is okay. And I think it's important to be aware of those precursors because that will also help us to manage our behaviors in those events. So, Katrine, can you talk a little bit about how children can communicate more effectively when they're out in the neighborhood and wanting to participate in these types of events.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much, Michelle, for all those tips and those tricks and with regards to attitude and participation barriers and really kind of the, the kind of big thing I kind of wanted to just touch back on was if your child does need, you know, noise canceling headphones or need sunglasses or things like that, try and get them a costume that that feeds into. So one of those could be, you know, a lot of celebrities wear a lot of sunglasses at night. So, that could be one thing, uh, Superman with his x-ray vision or even X-Men. I think there's an X-Men with x-ray vision where they have sunglasses on. It's part of the costume. Another one would be, I'm thinking of with noise canceling headphones, like an uh, Air Force pilot would obviously use them. Love that. Um, that is such a great idea. with, uh, you know, um, air traffic controller or, you know, the person, the people that direct the planes when they come off, you know, when they land. All these kinds of costumes have a variety. Scientists and you know, yeah, they're clear glasses, but you can maybe try and find, you know, kind of some something for some colored glass. Welders, welders use things, you know, to cover their face. All these kinds of different costumes are things that you can you can definitely have your child dress up as. And the stuff that they need to help reduce some of those sensory overstimulations would be part of their costume. So it would not stand out and it would really help them participate and people could talk about their costumes, which comes down to the opportunity barrier. So that opportunity barrier, as we discussed previously, is really about lack of ability to communicate. If you don't have the ability to communicate, then you lack the ability to to take advantage of opportunities when good, ripe social communication is alive, such as an event like Halloween or anything. It could be you, any of your holiday events. And so one of the tips and tricks that I tend to use a lot with my patients in the clinic when I work with them on this kind of stuff is how do we, is if they're nonverbal and they use a device, we program a, a button in their device that says trick or treat. And so we would practice during therapy, which goes back to kind of those participation barriers. So we practice during therapy how to use the trick-or-treat button. I would work with uh, you as a parent and give you those tools so you feel empowered to know how to use the device with the child in the community. That would be one that does wonders. I've done this with multiple kids. I've seen the smiles on their faces and the smiles on their parents' faces when they say the child was able to say trick-or-treat. And there was a really positive response from the neighborhood and it was really wonderful. Another one is if your child does not have a device yet, what do you do? Well, you could definitely print out, there's loads of resources online that you can print out and you can laminate a trick or treat card that you can make as a bracelet that they can point to. You can carry, if they have a low tech communication system that's like a book, then you can put it in there. There's loads of different ways If they can only say it verbally a certain way, or they can only say part of it verbally, then you have them say the verb, you know, maybe they can only say trick, right? Or they can only say treat. So maybe you can do a combination of the picture card, the device, and the verbal output. You can also do different kinds of, you can have recordings on your phone. If you don't have a device, you could put pictures on your phone of trick or treat and they could point to it. There's loads of different ways for them to access communication. Another one really is it's not only just about saying trick or treat right? You also want your child to participate and and share. So like as I said earlier, if there's an, if there's a part where everybody's got their candy out, I know my kids love to do this they put their candy out <laughs> and exchange they exchange their candy. well you can you can work on, you know, want candy as a two combination word if your child is doing two word level uh, communication or you know just want if it's one word level and again this can be programmed on your device your speech pathologist is absolutely you're going to be your guru on this and going to be the one that's going to support you and empower you to program all this and know how to do this I do this with all my families and I would absolutely want you to feel that you have the knowledge to make sure you ask your speech pathologist to do this with you. So it could be want candy, want turn, my turn, any of those kinds of things, teaching them how to say help if they can't open the candy so that they can, you know, they can, you know, they, they ask you how to say help to open the candy. You can things like like, I like the candy, don't like, I don't like the candy, because it's not always about requesting and saying wants and needs what's important is about communicating and connecting on an emotional level that's how we get our children with special needs to understand the power of their communication so I really want you as a family to really go back to your rehab team and if you don't know who the rehab team absolutely listen to our episode on rehab team but go back to your rehab team and ask them how do I get my child to participate in this event and have tools so that they can communicate these are just some ideas on certain tools that i've used certain tools that michelle has used and just and just know that you know all these tips and tricks that we've given you these are not exhaustive this is this some of these tricks may work some may not every child with autism and with special needs is different because your child is unique your child is who they are so we have a plethora of of tools that we can use but absolutely use your rehab team and go back to them if you want more tips and tricks on sensory dysregulation your occupational therapist is going to be your guru on that one there they have a plethora of tools that they can use with regards to that so this is this is just a snippet of what you can do to prepare but you know these events are fun. They're meant to be fun. They're not meant to be therapy sessions. And so really you as a parent need to make sure that you feel empowered to take any decision you deem fit to keep your child safe in that moment. Thank you guys so much. And hopefully these were really helpful and tune in for more tips and tricks and more episodes down the line. Thank you for joining us here on the Autism and Brain Institute podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe so that you get alerts when a new episode is released. For more content, please follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Autism Brain Institute and on Facebook, you can find us under Autism and Brain Institute. We thank you for your time and we look forward to having you join us on our next podcast.